Pain Train Productions presents Arch Rivals Football Season 2. Your starting lineup, Ricky Litwinkowicz, Alex Aldape, Todd Rosenfeld, and Nicholas Russell. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome. It's Arch Rivals. It is Tuesday, 11 26, 2019. And it's me and Nick. Yo, what's going on? It's Victory Tuesday, baby. And uh, Alex has uh, decided to hide because he lost to the Jets. Yeah. That's his, that's his reason for not being here. We're gonna we're just gonna call it the uh, loss to the uh, the Jets as the hey, reason. Man. Hey, hey, look, it happens to the best of us. Hey, you know what? Before uh, before we start the show, I just want to say something extremely random. So first off, I do want to say that the greatest condiment in the world today is uh, without question a Taco Bell fire sauce. And then the second greatest thing about Taco Bell fire sauce is that you could buy Taco Bell fire sauce in a jar. And then the third most fire thing about Taco Bell fire sauce is that when you make cheese eggs, you sprinkle a little bit of that fire sauce on top of the eggs. It is like eating gold. Huevos gold. Well, Taco fire sauce is the ultimate way to go. I can actually tell you I do not uh, have any real liking for the fire sauce. However, I do like the Taco Bell sauces in general, though. They are very good. Uh, being the fact that my stomach has been through like 8,000 world wars, I can't handle the fire sauce anymore, so I will admit that I do use mild, but I still do like the Taco Bell sauces, though. Fair enough. So there was a, a little bit of fire this week in the NFL. I'm going to tell you right now, there's not very much news. I know they did release some of the, release some of the semifinalists for the 2020 Hall of Fame. We also have uh, a key injury to the Ravens. Their starting center is going to be out for the rest of the year with a knee injury. Right. Um, yeah, pretty much there's not very much going on there. Uh, I mean, there was the fight at the end of the Monday Night Football game, which I think was kind of petty because Jalen Ramsey thought he was the uh, tough shit. Apparently he wasn't. Dude, Jalen Ramsey stays getting into, fu- excuse me, getting into fights with, with people. I heard he was out there beefing with... Uh, with the Marcus Peters for whatever reason. They were jawing at each other. And then I guess uh, they actually had pictures and video of him still jawing at Marcus Peters going into the tunnel. So you know what that is, dude? I would be salty, too, if my defense just gave up 45 points and five touchdown passes to go to Lamar Jackson. I'd be a little salty, too. So, I mean, that, I mean, in my opinion, that's really all that did. That's really all it is. It's just it's just um. Jalen Ramsey being salty that his team just got whooped and that the offense couldn't find a way. I will get into the game later, but I, I think that's all that really was. You know what? Let's go over this uh, 25 finalists of uh, 2020, the new um, the new listing for Hall of Fame. Uh, some of the some of these names are fairly recent in 
uh, players. There's not a lot of older ones on there. Uh, Steve Atwater, safety for the Broncos and the Jets. Carl Banks, formerly of the Giants, Redskins, and Cleveland Browns. Rondé Barber is on here. Yes, sir. Tony Baselli, Isaac Bruce. Leroy Butler. I, I never thought he would make the uh, listing. Right. But he's on there. Alan Fanica, Tory Holt, Steve Hutchinson, Edron James, which I personally believe he should be on there. He didn't win a Super Bowl, but he, he was a great running back. Hey, Elysia, what's up? Share this shit out. Let's get some more heads up in here. We have on here uh, John Lynch, which I totally agree that he should be in the Hall of Fame. Clay Matthews Sr. is on here. Sam Mills, Palomalu, Simeon Rice, Richard Seymour. Hey, wait a minute. Who's the running back for the Colts the year they won the Super Bowl? It was not Andrew James, I don't believe. You might be right. I don't know why I thought I he mean, was. I will. I will double check that, but I don't. I don't believe the Indianapolis Colts won before two thousand five. I could be wrong. Ah, uh, you're right. They won in. Uh, they won later on. You're right. Never mind. You're right. You're right. You're right. Because I uh, think it was in Arizona by then. Yeah, I think so. Steve Tasker, the best special teams player ever, has a vote to go to the Hall of Fame. Fred Taylor. I believe Taylor was on one of the Patriots Super Bowl winning teams. I don't remember. I will double check that again. I believe Zach Thomas should probably be in the Hall of Fame. Heinz Ward definitely should be in the Hall of Fame. He had a great career. And, and then it comes down to like the, the nitty gritty with some of these players. Bryant Young, formerly of the 49ers. Mm-hmm. Darren Woodson of the Cowboys. Patrick Willis of the 49ers and Reggie Wayne of the Colts. Patrick Willis, I can see in the Hall of Fame. I don't see him going in on in this ballot. Um, Patrick Willis was an absolute monster for the 49ers, whose career, you know, I, I don't I don't think I think he suffered from one toe injury and he was pretty much done. It was either a toe injury or a leg injury. And he was like, you know what? I've had fun in football. I'm out. And he was gone. Um so I think that's one. The one name that stuck out for me in that list was Tony Bocelli. Dude, Tony Bocelli was probably one of the one of, if not the best, offensive tackle while uh, going while he was playing. Like I think Willie Rofe maybe was playing a little bit while Tony was playing, but that was towards the end of Willie Rofe's career. Dude, Tony Bocelli was the cornerstone of that offensive line for the Jaguars that protected Mark Brunel for so many years, and they almost went to a Super Bowl with that team. If you if you remember, uh, I think it was either the first or second year in existence. I think they ended up losing to the Patriots. Was it the Patriots? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, you're right. Because that's the year that the Patriots lost to uh, Green Bay in in New Orleans. So, yeah, dude. Um, there's some really good names on that list. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the ones that come out. Um, but I think that I think there's some really good guys that are on there. Um, but I think there's a good handful of those guys. I think that might end up going maybe in the 2021 class, if not the 2022 class. I think Edron James is one that might end up going next year, not this year. I think Isaac Bruce is another one that might end up going next year, not this year. Bruce and Holt, in my opinion, need to go in at the same time if they both end up going in because 
I mean, Isaac Bruce was a really good wide receiver. I think his stock really flourished during the, the years of the greatest show on turf. Um, well, definitely Corey one, was another one, too. There's one know? name on this list that I'm not sure of the stats, but I, I really didn't think he was a Hall of Fame caliber running back, and that would be Ricky Waters, played for the 49ers, the Eagles, and the Seahawks. Yeah. I, yeah, I believe, he was good. Uh, I don't believe out of the, out of the players on this list he he stands out as much. Yeah, he was good, but I never looked at Ricky Waters as a as a Hall of Famer. I mean, defensively on this list. Now I know they don't take like forty people when they they do the Hall of Fame or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could really make a case for Steve Atwater, even though he never won a Super Bowl. You could obviously make a case for Rondé Barber because he did win a Super Bowl. Rondé Barber, in my opinion, is a surefire Hall of Famer. Not so much of the Super Bowl, but Rondé Barber is the only player in NFL history to record 40 sacks and 40 interceptions in a career. That's amazing. Either you're getting 40 sacks or you're getting 40 interceptions, but he's the only one that was able to do both because he was so good at blitzing the quarterback and then we all know how many times he intercepted the ball and a lot of those went back for touchdowns the most notable one the one against uh donovan McNabb and the eagles that led them to going into the uh the super bowl that year so i think ronde barber deserves to really go in um there was another one. Who was the other one's defensive lead? I think John Lynch was on that list, too. I think a lot of those Buccaneers are really going to get into the Hall of Fame. Not just so much for the sense of, of um, I don't think for the sense of just because they won that Super Bowl, but John Lynch had really good numbers going into the Super Bowl year, and even the few years after when he left Tampa and went to um, went to Denver. Rondé Barber, I just mentioned some of those good names. I think in due time, Simeon Rice's name, needs, and, and everyone knows that Simeon Rice was my favorite defensive Buccaneer out of all the defensive Bucks. so I think his name will be coming up here soon. So... I think it. I, I think a, there's a lot of good defensive names that are on this list that I think could make it in this class. I just think a lot of the names on the offensive side of the list, I think, will go in in the next two years or so. Well, I I will tell you though. I mean, this majority is gonna is ridiculously defense. You figure Brian Young, defensive tackle, Darren Woodson, safety, Patrick Willis, linebacker. I mean, there. This is a defensive class. I'm not. This is, and, and Palomalu is one of those ones that this is his first time on there. Rondé Barber, I believe, if I'm reading this correctly, is his third time as a semifinalist, right? For the pro, for the the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a a good class. We broke this down last year when the when the list came out, and. I mean, that was an amazing class last year because that had uh, T.O., I believe. It had Randy Moss on it last year. Uh, Ed Reed was on the list last year, and obviously Ed Reed made it in because they did the the, the ring uh, induction at the, the Ravens-Patriots game. So I, I was pretty impressed with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is crazy to know that this uh, this Hall of Fame class is huge. And it's yeah. a lot of recent players. There's not a lot of older players in there. Right. Which kind of me makes a lot of sense. Right. 
We have here, let's see, I mentioned it before, that starting center for the Ravens, Matt Skura, missing the rest of the season with a knee injury. There's playoff scenarios. Three teams can clinch a playoff spot this weekend. I believe that's the 49ers, the Saints, and the Patriots are, have the ability to clinch. They released the all-clutch team. I think we're going to go over that over the weekend when we have everybody kind of hanging around. But, yeah, I mean, that, that, I mean, otherwise news, it, it's not really a lot of it for the week, for the weekend, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to touch on this big rumor that's been going around New York radio, and I really hope it stops because it's pathetic. Uh, they were mentioning the fact that if Jason Garrett does get fired from the Giants, uh, from the Cowboys, and Shermer gets fired from the Giants, that they're somehow miraculously going to hire Garrett as their, their head coach. Please, do me a favor. Stop the rumors. It's not going to happen. If you see what he's doing in Dallas... He's going to do the same shit here. You're never going to win. Yeah, dude. I I think Jason Garrett's time in in Dallas is done. And and not only do I think his time in Dallas is done, what I also do believe as well is the fact that um, – did you hear that press conference that Jerry Jones had? He did not sound like a guy that was very happy uh, after they lost to New England this past week. Um, like you said, dude, there's so much talent on Dallas that this team should not be where they're at right now, which is what six and five, five and five, something like yeah. that. Like they should, they actually should be two or three wins better. And again, we'll get into it as we as as when we talk about the uh, the game between New England and Dallas this past uh, Sunday. But I just feel I feel like there's a growing frustration because. I'm I'm with Jerry Jones. When you looked at the beginning of the season, you know, Dak Prescott had to prove to himself that he's this $40 million quarterback that everyone thinks he is. Then you have to add on to the fact that you have Ezekiel Elliott, this monster line. They had a really good receiving core. This isn't easily anywhere from 11-12 win team. But for whatever reason, the play calling has gotten stale. And not only has the play calling gotten stale, but I know that the Cowboys have had a couple of injuries on their um had had a couple of injuries on their um on their offensive line but they're not giving the ball to Zeke to set up for Dak they're trying to run Dak to set up for Zeke and I think that's a recipe for for failure for Dallas Ezekiel Elliott has always been the guy you know to carry the ball and to get you know uh, Dallas's offense going, so it takes pressure off of Dak Prescott. But for whatever reason, Kellen Moore keeps calling these plays, making Dak throw the ball more than he should have to. And if they don't get that situated, then Dallas is going to be in a lot of trouble. But I heard rumors where if Jason Garrett got fired, that maybe Urban Meyer might be a uh, a candidate for. Um, the job in Dallas, which would be very interesting if he ended up doing that because Urban Meyer's name has been thrown around. I've thrown it around a little bit for the Florida State job. A lot of people think that if Brian Kelly's fired in Notre Dame, he might go there. There's people that believe the USC. Now you bring up Dallas. So Urban Meyer's name has been thrown around. So it'll be interesting to see what happens at the end of the year. But Dallas really has to uh, has to get 
get themselves situated. Because, I mean, no offense, I know they beat Philadelphia, and I know that we talked on this show, you know, a couple weeks ago when I was on, when they beat Philly, that they had locked up the East. But at the same time, do at least play better. Like, Philadelphia's not playing well. You should at least have a 2-3 game lead on you, and you guys both technically still have a tied record, which is ridiculous. So Dallas needs to figure something out. Well, Dallas is still a game ahead in the division. But, again, I guess this is going into the argument with uh, how scheduling is going. Because Dallas has not beat a team with a winning record yet this year. They've beat subpar 500 teams or teams that have been in the can since week one. I think the only team they lost to that, um, the only team they lost to was the Jets that didn't have a 500 record. What are they like? Five and one or six and one teams sub under uh five hundred and zero and four teams above five hundred. Correct. So uh, it's crazy. I mean, Dallas is doing what they're supposed to be doing against the bad teams, but you still got to go out there and beat the good teams, and they're not doing it. All right, so let's move into some of these recaps because uh, we have a triple header on Thursday. Yes, we do. And then I believe Friday or Saturday, we haven't figured out which one we're doing yet. We also have a full slate Sunday. There are no teams on a bye this week, so it's going to make it for crazy-ass fucking stuff. We'll start off with Denver and Buffalo. This game here was fairly close in the beginning. By the time the second half had rolled around, Buffalo had finally started getting in gear. Buffalo wins 20-3. to No real blistering numbers for this game. Uh, Devin Singletary did rush for over 100 yards. But overall, I mean, Buffalo's offense still looks a little stagnant. Defense did step up. Yeah. It was the first bad game that uh, Brandon Allen had for the uh, Denver Broncos. And, I mean, this, this game for me was a snooze fest. Oh, yeah, basically. And like you said, dude, all year the defense for Buffalo has pretty much carried the offense. Um, I think one thing that Buffalo is going to have to look into going into the offseason is get some playmakers for Josh Allen, uh, you know, to get Josh Allen to take the next step up. But right now, Buffalo runs into a Denver team that's hurt, a Denver team that's kind of, you know, you know, I guess I would say on the transition of the quote unquote rebuild and uh, Buffalo took advantage of it. You said it best. Like it was kind of close in the beginning and then Buffalo kind of pulled away at the end. Um, but they definitely uh, this is a good win for Buffalo. And, uh, you know, they continue to uh, push for the playoffs. Next up, this is a game that we kind of had a little bit of an argument about on Friday. Mm -hmm. New York Giants traveling to Chi-Town to play the Chicago Bears. Yep. And the Bears come out of this 1914 winners. I will tell you right now, there are a ton, and I mean a ton, of delusional Giants fans running around the planet. Okay? Now... In the, in the midst of watching this game and a lot of the other ones on the 1 o'clock slate, Giants defense played fairly decent, not great. Right. A lot of fans are putting it on Daniel Jones. I kind of disagree with that because, once again, the Giants, for the third year in a row, 
are having offensive line issues. Yep. Special teams did not play well. Now, I understand one bad snap that rolled across the ground. You can't really kick a field goal. Uh, but Rosa, Rojas or Rosas or whatever the fuck his name is mm-hmm. misses two of them. So if you add those two field goals on the board, you win by one point. Trubisky actually looked like a football player this game, even though he threw a lot of passes that skidded across the ground. And, I mean, no team had a run game. Barkley looked like horrible, like garbage. And I think maybe he needs to be sat for the rest of the year. Yeah. He's just horrible. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up because I read something where someone suggested that the the Giants should really seriously consider shutting down Saquon Barkley for the rest of the year to try and avoid injury, which, I mean, it makes sense, you know, for the Giants because he's their their main offensive piece. Like, that's no disrespect to Daniel Daniel Jones, but Saquon Barkley is pretty much the heart and soul of this offense. And... Excuse me, no offense, but Saquon was going to look like crap because the Bears, you know, outside of the fact that, you know, they do have some some big time injuries, their defense is still pretty stout. So I didn't I didn't expect uh, Saquon to have any type of big day. I thought that if anyone's going to have a big day, it was going to be Daniel Jones. But as you mentioned, the the defense played really well in this game. And let me say this, too. I didn't mean to interrupt. Let me say this, too. Um with that that field goal, the one that kind of skipped on the ground, dude, kudos to the holder for picking it up and still putting it in a position for Rojas to make a decent kick. Like it's not like he fumbled the snap or you know couldn't get you know Rojas the laces were in or anything like that. It skipped to him. He picked it up. Still was able to put it on the ground. I think Rosas was still um, um, uh, uh, able to put it through the uprights, and he shanked it. So, uh, I mean, you could give some like some credit to the bad snap. I'm just going to give love to the holder that he was able to pick it up and get it to a position to where um, to where uh, uh, Rosas could make the kick. But I, I again, like a lot of fans are going to be jumping on Daniel Jones, right? A lot of it's not his fault. They're all saying, oh, let's put Eli back in. Yeah. When's the funeral for Eli Manning if they go to put him back behind this offensive line? No, I'm with you on that. Okay. The team in a whole is fucked. Okay. Shermer is not the answer. He's not helping the situation out. And I was kind of joking about this with Melissa as we were driving on Sunday because we were listening to the post game on the radio. And he doesn't want to acknowledge like certain things during the post game press conference. And he gets questioned about it a lot. Yeah. Okay. He is probably, if not one of the worst coaches I've ever seen for a press conference. And I, I, I kind of joked about it. I was like, imagine me at a press conference. Yeah. Well, you know, our special teams sucked. Uh, we couldn't snap the ball properly. Our kicker missed two field goals. The offensive line is fucking trash. And our best player looks terribly human because he's just not right. It's either an injury or our offensive line. See, that's the way you should be doing a press conference. Not just lally gagging around the fucking topics as these people are asking you the questions. Pat Shermer is just... I don't understand him during football, and I don't know if I really want to understand him outside of football. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that. And you know what? Pat Shermer is kind of like the one of the prime examples that not every offensive coordinator can turn around and be head coach. Like he did a fine job when he was offensive coordinator in with the with the Minnesota Vikings. It's not working out in New York. It's just not. They got right. a lot of holes to fill coming up in the oh. offseason and draft. And if and there's there are other rumors saying that if uh, Ron Rivera gets released or fired because Carolina is having a shit season, there may be a possibility of a uh, reunion between head coach and GM. But let's it's it's failed to see. Let's I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I see that happening in Carolina because maybe if Cam was still playing playing and they sucked, maybe I would agree with you on that. But dude, like no offense to to the Carolina Panthers, but dude, I I don't think I don't I don't buy their wide receiving core. Like I mean, it's decent, but compared to some of the other ones, especially in the South, they might have the worst collective of wide receivers, especially in the NFC South, because they're not better than Tampa's in in, in uh, Evans and Godwin. They're not better than the Saints with Thomas and I mean, for what it's worth, Ted Ginn Jr. And they're not better than Atlanta with Julio Jones and whoever else the hell is down there catching. So I think they do have the collection worse, but he made it work by by bringing in Kyle Allen and they almost beat the Saints on Sunday, but I don't see. I think they give Ron Rivera maybe one more year before they start crying the blues about how oh we need a new voice in the locker room because you know that's coming. Well, speaking of voices, we have uh, Pittsburgh traveling to Cincinnati, and what I thought again was going to be another trash game. Mason Rudolph gets benched. They put in the duck caller, Mister Hodges. The Steelers win 16-10. The Bengals are now 0-11. Yeah. And the rumor going around now is that Mr. Ryan Finley will not be the starter anymore. They are bringing back the redheaded stepchild of the Cincinnati Bengals and Andy Dalton. So I guess the Ryan Finley experiment is over. Yeah, you know what? I... uh I think this is not only is the Ryan Finley experiment over. I think what else it is, is that, okay, let's go ahead and let Andy Dalton finish the season because we're not keeping him next year. The Cincinnati Bengals, I believe, are going to draft the quarterback next year and start all over. Uh, They're definitely a team that's in the rebuild. And I'll say this, too. You know, um, uh, Andy's going to get paid somewhere. So you might as well go ahead and let him showcase his skills in case, you know, some team that might have some little kind of quarterback issues would need some help. And, uh, uh, you know, it's a smart thing to do for Cincinnati. Like this team's not going anywhere and you tried it. It didn't work out. Just go back to the drawing board. But overall, though, now this is the uh, they're, they're changing quarterback all the way around in Pittsburgh. They do not want Mason Rudolph behind center in the revenge game coming up against Cleveland. I'll honestly tell you, though, I think Hodges is a little bit of a better quarterback than Mason Rudolph at this point. He did have a decent record when they when Rudolph got hurt the first time. So this may be an eye opener, but they definitely don't want Mason Rudolph dying somewhere in the middle of Pittsburgh. Yeah, right. And they were outside of the Cincinnati Stadium or the Cleveland Stadium, I might add, they were hitting Mason Rudolph pinatas. I I don't understand why you're doing that now. You should be doing that, like, next week, but 
That's what they did. Right. Obscene. All right. Speaking of the uh, Browns, they hosted the Miami Dolphins and got smashed 41 to 24. Browns are now five and six. They're making their mini little comeback for the year. Landry had two touchdown passes and over 140 yards receiving in this game. So I kind of thought that would be revenge, so to speak. Chubb, another 100-yard rushing game. Baker Mayfield, fairly decent game. Although uh, OBJ caught, I believe, his second or third touchdown pass for the year since like week one. Yeah, he hasn't caught a touchdown pass since week two. And if I'm not mistaken, that was the Monday night game against the Jets where first he had to switch his visor out because it was too dark. And then he had the big touchdown uh, pass kind of like in the third quarter. But that's the last time, dude. It's week 12. This man hasn't had a touchdown in 10 weeks. That would have been unheard of in New York. Well, think of it this way, though. The only thing I really cared to notice about this game, okay? Now, I, anybody playing the Dolphins, the Redskins, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals at this point, who are all pretty much just jockeying for draft position, I, I came to notice that Ryan Fitzpatrick's pads are either too high or he has no neck. <laughs> because I'm watching the game and I'm like, where is his neck? It's like the helmet was just sitting on top of his shoulder pads. Yeah, that's Ryan Fitzpatrick for you. That's normally that's normally how he looks when, uh, when he's in pads. But it's pathetic though that Ryan Fitzpatrick for a two and nine Dolphins team led the team in rushing and passing at the same time. Well, again, dude, you got to remember the Cincinnati bit. Ah, uh, the Cincinnati bit. The Miami Dolphins are more or less just playing for the offseason and the draft. So. You know, they they obviously waved the white flag when they traded Tunsil and Stills for first round picks and then traded Mika Fitzpatrick to the Steelers for another first round pick. So they were basically waving the white flag. So any any out of this world numbers that you're going to bring up like that one, it doesn't shock me. And you don't have Kenyon Drake down there anymore. You traded him to Arizona. This team is just continuously waving the white flag. So. That doesn't shock me. Well, I want you to wave the uh, Buccaneers flag for this next segment. Unfortunately, this is a game that I really could not tune into. Oh, you missed a good one. I, I was surprised at the numbers, though, for the game. Uh, Tampa did go down to Atlanta and win 35-22. And, uh, Nick, I know you were you were all over this game. and You were very quiet for me on Sunday. So give a, given the uh, cap of this game. Oh, dude. Okay, so first off, I was quiet only because I wasn't technically at home watching the game. I had to go out for brunch for a friend's birthday. But Lord knows. All right, so before I get into the game, this is what happened. I love the Buccaneers so much that I was supposed to be at this brunch at 12. I didn't make it there to 1.30 because I was watching the first half of the game, and I was like, the game comes first. And then I finally decided to leave, and I was watching the game in my car, on my phone, on my way to the brunch. And then I got to the brunch, and then I was going to be like, well, now that I'm here, the game is still staying on. So I couldn't comment on Facebook and watch the game at the same time. But, dude, was I impressed with the way Tampa Bay played this weekend. So 
things looked a little grim at first because in Jameis's first uh, pass attempt, he threw an interception to Desmond Trufant. And, of course, you get all the Jameis Winston haters coming out and opening their fat-ass mouths about Jameis throwing another pick. It's fine. Then Jameis Winston turns around and throws a 71-yard strike to Chris Godwin, gives him the 7-3 lead. And from that, and then I think Jameis Winston ends up throwing another interception in the next drive. From that point on, the Buccaneers were rolling. Uh, Jameis, no more stupid decisions after that. He threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns along with the two picks. Um, Ronald Jones looked really good. But the one thing that needs to be talked about in this game is the secondary. Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis III, uh, uh, Jordan Whitehead, those guys were on point the entire game. Think about it like this. The Atlanta Falcons coming into this game in the last five games were 5-0. and And if you remember those games last year, if it wasn't last year, it was the year before when Julio Jones had some ridiculous 300-yard game and two touchdowns against the Buccaneers and then had another game for 120-something yards in Tampa. Julio Jones was shut down by Jamel Dean and CD3. Um, whatever secondary receiver that they have was shut down. You know, Austin Hooper didn't play in that game, but the Bucs did get to Matt Ryan five or six times, which one of them included a sack fumble for a touchdown. So the Buccaneers in this game, um, I was very impressed. A lot of the fans want to downplay this game. However, you have to also remember that the Atlanta Falcons just smacked New Orleans in the mouth. Then they turn around to smack Carolina in the mouth. So for Tampa, who just came off a tough loss, would go into Atlanta where Jameis really plays well and um, plays it the way that they did. It's a real nice promising sign, I think, for the Bucs. It was a good win for them. I think it's the first complete football game that they played all year. Sometimes better late than never, but I was proud of Tampa Bay on Sunday. All righty. We have next up, speaking of Carolina and New Orleans, this one was actually a close one. It was. 34-31 uh, Saints victory. Panthers uh, now lost two in a row because they lost to the 49ers last week. I, I no, really, they lost to Atlanta last week. They lost to Atlanta last week? Yeah. All right. They still lost. It's two in a row. Uh, again, Saints had, had a decent lead and then kind of had to like crawl back into this a little bit more. As you can see... Christian McCaffrey only with 64 yards rushing. DJ Moore has pretty much stepped up and became the number one in Carolina. Kyle Allen had a pretty f decent game at 256 and three scores. Breeze did actually kind of look pedestrian in this. It wasn't a great Drew Breeze throwing game. And uh, is Kamara back yet? Because... Yeah, Kamara played on Sunday. Murray's is is kind of taking over that role with the running the running back committee. Yeah, you know Latavius Murray has kind of been like the quote unquote running back, and Alvin Kamara has kind of been like the quote unquote receiving back. Um, it it causes for a very dangerous combination if you can't figure out how to stop either one. Um, Kamara did catch a huge screen pass towards the end of that game that um, 
that kind of set them up for the win. Um, but yeah, I'm. I think the the emergence of Latavius Murray is actually a godsend for the New Orleans Saints because if you can get the running game going, because let me think about it. I mean, Drew Brees is what. Uh, 30 some years old upper 30s years old yeah. you know I know Michael Thomas is a monster Ted Ginn is forever dropping passes that's nothing brand new but if you can get the running game going to where you have Latavius Murray that can take it to the house on any carry and you already know that Alvin Kamara is pretty much your best dual threat back it makes the uh New Orleans Saints a much dangerous team than uh uh, you know, what people I think are giving credit because, you know, San Francisco's playing the way that they're playing. And then, you know, even though they took a bad loss, you still have Green Bay and Minnesota's, you know, up and coming in Seattle. I think a lot of people are going to sleep on the Saints. Uh, but that that dual running back uh, threat is dangerous because if you think about it, every team as of late in the South that has gone to the Super Bowl has had some type of dual threat. The Falcons, the team that lost to the Patriots, had Tevin Coleman, Devontae Freeman. Uh, the, the Carolina team that lost to Denver had Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams. So Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara is a real good combination, and you can see which guy brings what to the table on Sundays, and you really saw it here in this game against Carolina. So Elysius has said that Breeze is 39, and Ginn has fucking butterfingers. It's shameful. Yeah. Alicia, really tell us how you feel about Ted Ginn. No, nah, dude. Because I can tell you she's that. Not I mean, she's not wrong, dude. Ted Ginn Jr., think about it. Here's a guy who was, I sound like Chris Collinsworth. Now, here's a guy. Um, Here's <laughs> a guy right here who was the 10th overall pick by the Miami Dolphins many moons ago, right? Should have never been the 10th overall pick by the Miami Dolphins. He was not that good. In Miami, in a couple of stints in Carolina, and in New Orleans, for as fast as Ted Ginn is, this man drops balls time after time after time. I think it's no knock against Michael Thomas. I think Michael Thomas is one of the best wide receivers in the game. The reason why Michael Thomas has so many catches is because Michael Thomas is the only guy on the Saints that can catch the football. Either other guys can't get open or Ted Ginn Jr. drops passes. So if it's not Kamara, Michael Thomas is the only guy I feel like Drew Brees can count on. Well, I will say, though, that, that Jared Cook did have multiple looks and attempts, uh, a tar a targets, I should say, on Sunday, and he didn't catch very many of those either. So that's why I was kind of saying that, like, Breeze actually did look pedestrian on, on Sunday at a lot of points. But then again, uh, the last two weeks, the, the, the pressure that Breeze has had to face has just been literally ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That's where I can leave that as. This game here, another game that I kind of, uh, I have a message for people on this game. All right. So Saturday and Sunday, I get a bunch of Facebook messages on people betting in Atlantic City. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what is your best bet for the weekend? Like, what is the most solid game you can pick on the NFL schedule? And obviously, you know, they asked me all about Pats and, and Cowboys. And I turned around totally and said, no, don't bet the game. Don't bet that game. It's a trap. Bet Seattle over Philly. 
And what happened with a one-point spread? The Seahawks win 17 to 9. Yeah. And they move to 9 and 2, where Philly is now 5 and 6, on the 500 again, with a chance to literally stranglehold the NFC East. The only thing they could stranglehold is the toilet, because that's where they're going. Okay? This game was offensive for the first quarter and a half, and then it died. Defenses took over. For me, like this could have not been a better game to watch. For a lot of purposes, it was Wentz versus Russell Wilson. Uh, defense versus defense, which you know that's always usually pretty good. Uh oh, what? I heard an uh oh. Oh, Elysia's, uh comment. Don't get me wrong. I love my team, but Gint can't get you. Fade, you faded out on me. I can't hear you. I faded out. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay, you're good. You're good. Right. You're good. You're good. You're good. Uh, she says, don't get me wrong. I love my team, but Gint can't get his shit together, and it costs us. Fucking Butterfingers. Thomas is a beast. Gin needs to sit out for fucking real. She's not. Again, dude, Alicia is not lying. There's no other viable option for Drew Brees to throw it to unless it's Alvin Kamara. If your running back is the second best receiving back that you, I mean, is the second best receiving option that you have on your team, then dude, your your other wide receivers freaking suck, and they do they suck, dude. Like she's not wrong. Like if Ted if Ted Ginn catches a football, it'd been a miracle by Jesus that he actually caught it. Seriously. So, again, that just shows how how really good Michael Thomas is, but it also shows how pedestrian, for for the best way of putting it, the Saints wide receiver core minus Michael Thomas is. Yeah, she's definitely not wrong. Well, speaking of, they didn't have any receivers in Philly either, by the way. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I kind of feel bad for Carson Wentz because now you're starting to get the, oh, um, um, um. You know, is Carson Wentz a bust and all this other nonsense that's coming out of at people's mouths? I don't think Carson Wentz is the problem. I'm almost, I'm almost gonna venture to say, and this is kind, this could be a reach on my part, but I'm wondering if the Philadelphia Eagle offense is tuning out Doug Peterson because look at it like this: they they could barely run the football. Then you have Alshon Jeffrey that's got uh can't stay healthy, he's got butter hands. Then you got Nelson Aguilar that can't catch cold. Then you have Zach Ertz. Now, Zach Ertz, I think, is one of the best tight ends in the game, but it just seems so lazy as of late. And and how do you go against a team that has struggled in their secondary, had no Jadavion Clowney, and you only scored nine points? Like I don't understand the issue here with Philadelphia, but you know I I I figured that the theme this week was good teams taking bad losses, or and I shouldn't even say good teams, just teams taking bad losses. This was one of them because obviously we saw what happened with Dallas. 
you could have put a stranglehold, like you said, on the East, and you failed to do it because you can't win games at home because you're garbage offensively. Again, against a team who's struggling in the, uh, you know, in the secondary and doesn't have one of their best pass rushers. So uh, Philadelphia is going to be in some trouble, especially if Dallas finds ways to figure it out and win. And we'll see on Thursday. But um, yeah, this is a tough loss for Philadelphia. And it was a good win by Seattle. You know, Russell Wilson adds on, quote unquote, to his MVP conversation. But it was a good win for uh, Seattle. All right. So we're going to move to a, another trash uh, sighting in D.C. Apparently, everybody heard Dwayne Haskins after last week. Redskins win 19-16 to on a game-winning field goal with like four seconds left. And again, there's no Matt Stafford. I believe he, he is going to be done for the rest of the year. I think so, too. The, the, the back injury is just not going to heal quick enough for them to do anything. And they're talking about this man has broken bones in his back, which is which is absolutely insane. Um, the one thing about this game, though, uh, or actually it wasn't even about the game. I don't know if you heard this news, but the Detroit Lions tried to sign Josh Johnson to the team. And apparently Josh Johnson signed the quarterback. I mean, signed a con- contract to play quarterback for the L.A. team for the XFL. And the XFL won't let them out, won't let him out of the contract. Contract's a contract. Yeah, dude. He won't let they won't let him out. And they were throwing like all kinds of fits. And and the thing is on uh, ESPN radio. But the thing was, like you said, a contract's a contract in the contract. It says that you cannot go and sign with an NFL team while under contract with the XFL. Josh Johnson's under contract with the XFL. He can't play for another team. So you can't get too upset about it. But that but by them trying to do that just goes ahead and and uh, confirms what you're saying that I think Matthew Stafford at this point is going to be gone for the year. But I'm interested to see what Detroit does with the coaching staff. Does Matt Patricia stay? Is he gone? Um but Detroit's been riddled with injuries all year long. They lost Carrion Johnson. I know they had uh, they're missing snacks for a little while, so uh, they've had a lot of issues and whatnot. Um, but this was this was uh, like you said, this was just a trash game. And then at the end of the game, when they went to try and go and kneel the football, Dwayne Haskins is taking selfies, and they didn't know where he was at, so Case Keenum had to come out and take the kneel. Fucking retard. I'm saying, dude, the Washington Redskins are just a mess, bro. That's a fucking dysfunctional family in itself. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Seriously. I mean, there is no lie in that statement. You know, Daniel Snyder acts like he knows football and he doesn't know football. And the Washington Redskins has been trashed for I don't know how long. And they're just, I don't know, dude, they're just bad. And then you get... You get this to happen where your starting quarterback is overtaking selfies instead of kneeling the football so you guys can end the game. Dude, take selfies when the game's over with, not while you still have time left on the clock. I, I wouldn't say this as, as a Patriots fan. I'd say this as a general fan. Sign me up for the fucking general manager ownership thing. Let me take care of a fucking NFL franchise. I hire you and Alex. I get you down on the fucking field. You guys can take care of business. I'll get oh. you the players. We'd all be good. The trifecta would be perfect. 
Oh, yeah, dude. Easily. Because the Washington Redskins can easily be fixed. Yeah. They just don't, they, you're, they don't you're have the not right people. They really could. But, you know, all, you, I mean, you see, you, you're seeing what they're, what they've done with, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Trent Williams. They, they ruined that, that, uh, relationship so bad that it would take a miracle of God for him to want to come back to Washington. But like you said, dude, that team's a mess. Like Darius guys can't stay healthy. Adrian Peterson's like 50. They have no wide receivers. They still have yet to move on from Jordan Reed, who can't stay healthy for more than five minutes. Not five games, five minutes. Is it just bad, dude? The rest of the Redskins are a bad football team. On to other news. We moved to MetLife Stadium. You know, the winners of the Snoopy Bowl. Yes. Because that's the only bowl they're ever going to win. The Jets have a three-game winning streak, folks. Look out. Six and ten is still a possibility. But they do oh, uh, for the, Medina, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they do have the uh, win over the Oakland Raiders 34-3. to A lot of people are, pl- are complaining that the Raiders had a six-hour flight, and that's the majority of the reason why they lost. I I can't blame a six-hour flight. You are there a day and a half prior to the game. Do not blame a six-hour flight for the reason why you lost. You stunk it up. Yeah, and on top of that, it's not like they just sprung it on you that you were going to New York to play the Jets. I mean, you knew this how long ago? So, yeah, don't miss me with that nonsense. That's nonsense to me. I mean, purely David Carr threw for 127 yards. Jacobs only rushed for 34. Their leading receiver, 47 yards. Okay. Darnold has come back with another 300-yard game. Le'Veon Bell, not even 50 yards rushing. Uh, a, A bone that I do have to pick with the New York Jets and their fans uh, Robbie Anderson's only touchdown catch, he jumped up into the stands and stood with the fans, okay? Now, if that idiot fell and hurt himself getting out of the stands, you just done fucked yourself for the rest of the season. True. Okay? All in all, the Jets did play a lot better. They took advantage of a Raider team that's normally good on the road this year. And kudos to them. They've got their three-game winning streak. Uh, Like I said, they've won the uh, Snoopy Bowl like two weeks ago when they beat the New York Giants, and that's the only bowl that they're winning, maybe another toilet bowl, but it was 34-3. to There's not really very many excuses, and it doesn't – I mean, it sets up still a good game for the upcoming week between Oakland and Kansas City, but also at the same right, Oakland now falls out of the playoffs, which they walked in – because of a win on Thursday night, and boom! Now all of a sudden, you're not you're you're just basically fighting for a tie in the division instead of a division lead if if you win the game. Yeah, and and that goes back to my theme: teams that took bad losses. This was one of them. You know, with Kansas City uh, on the bye week, this was a chance for you to kind of gain some ground on them uh, going into the game uh, this upcoming week. And they they do they wet the bed so bad like nobody looked good on Oakland, and uh, you know they're gonna have to get 
get stuff fixed. But, uh, you know, good win by the Jets. And, you know, give the Jets kudos. They could have easily quit on the season, and they haven't done it. You know, they're still fighting and playing hard. You got to give credit where credit's due with that. So, uh, big-time kudos to um, uh, – big-time kudos to uh, – uh, the New York Jets, good win for them. Oh, and by the way, did you hear the story that like, I guess Sam Darnold after the game went to some NYC uh, club and I guess uh, banged some chick and got super blacked out drunk uh, all after the win against Oakland? And he learned how to do the worm. Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. And just to know that my NFL quarterback could go to a club, do the worm, get laid, get drunk. Eh. That's a great win. Three in a row. At least it wasn't done during the playoffs, which I'm kind of happy about. True. Jacksonville and Tennessee. Another game that we were pretty much unanimous on, I believe, for the week. Tennessee wins 42-20. to And Derrick Henry, 13 carries, 159 yards, two scores. Tannenhill, 259, two touchdowns. I have to say Jacksonville has looked pretty, again, lost this year. Offensively, they had a fairly decent game. Defensively, they're just not They're not in the building. Yeah, and this, this defense is supposed to be the backbone of, of this team. Like, I remember they were asking, I think it was Marcel Darius, when they said, uh, you know, how good do you think the, uh, the um, Jaguars would be? He said it depends on the offense. Which, I mean, you know, you could read in between the lines that he was basically saying, yeah, no, our defense is going to be great and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the, you know, our offense, you know, this, whatever. Dude, the defense has been whack, bro. Like, I mean, you know, you had, you draft Josh Allen, you bring, you know, Miles Jack is healthy. Um, you know, I know the Jalen Ramsey thing didn't necessarily work out the way that you really wanted it to. But, man, they went out there, got slapped in the face by Tennessee. And for whatever reason, dude, Derrick Henry loves playing against the um, the uh, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. I think a lot of his big games are against Jacksonville. So big win for Tennessee. And thank you, Tennessee, for beating up Jacksonville. Because then that just softens them up for Tampa Bay next week. But that was a big win for Tennessee to kind of stay in the mix with Houston and Indianapolis uh, in the AFC South. Which I got to say, I can't actually, I'm looking forward to that game. I really am. I'm looking forward to Jacksonville, Tampa. Yeah. That's actually what we could consider the real battle of Florida. You know, because you have those pansies down in Miami. Yeah, dude. Yeah. We don't, we don't claim Miami down in Florida. No, no. That's just a, a horrible shit show. <laughs> All right. So we have now the uh, second of the two four o'clock games. New England 13, Dallas 9. Uh, the outlook that I have of this game is this. First off, the weather was absolute shit. Okay? 30 mile an hour winds, downpour rains. It's funny because I believe Fox was the one that had this game on Sunday. They did. And they could not keep the cameras dry. A lot of the times you'd see the overhead camera and there was w- there was wind blowing the rain into the lens. It's like they needed super-powered windshield wipers to keep all of the camera lenses clean. Right. So the weather in itself was not great. Dallas mix- misses a kick. I believe it was on their second drive. That would have gave them three points. 
Right. All right. Dallas had plenty of opportunities to put points on the board. Okay. You took advantage of a Patriots team that did not have Mohamed Sanu, no Philip Dorsett. They were basically going with Edelman and two rookies. That's basically it. So Brady did not have anything close to a resemblance of a receiving core. The run game was there at points, all right? But there were times where Dallas completely should have took advantage of the situations. Patriots defense did step up. They picked uh, Prescott off, I think it was the third drive. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there trash talking on uh, d Relly's live video to his cousin who lives in Dallas, apparently. But overall, Prescott did not look like Dak or what everybody is hoping that Dak will be, you know, Mr. $30 million. Again, this this game had so many different ways it could have gone, and it just ended up being that it took 13 points to win. That's just that that's the way it is. I understand whether played a big factor, but I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, Dallas can't win because of a tripping call in the fourth quarter. I'm sorry. You still had 50-plus minutes to do things, and you did absolutely nothing. Absolutely jack nothing. Yeah, no, I I agree with you 100%, dude. And uh, I think a lot of the criticisms came in the fourth quarter where, what was it, like fourth and four, and... um, uh, Jason Garrett decides to kick the field goal instead of trying going for the first down so they can score a touchdown. Um, and you're down, and, and you're down points with seven minutes left. Yeah, so you're down seven seven minutes left, but you but you also know that you've been struggling offensively and defensively. This is that time where Tom Brady can pretty much just sit on the ball and they can run you to death, and that's kind of exactly what they did. So. Um, this was a good win in for what it's worth in the elements for the New England Patriots. But again, you know, sticking with the theme, it's a bad loss for Dallas. You know, again, you have a chance to put your foot on the throats of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles and you can't do it because, again, for whatever reason, Kellen Moore is trying to make Dak Prescott the next Roger Starback and just not running the ball with uh with uh what's his name with uh Zeke and Tony Pollard. I I feel like if they started running the ball more and keep an emphasis on the on the run, it will set up the pass and make the throws a little bit better for Zeke. I mean for uh, Dak Prescott, but if you're sitting there and you know you, you, you know Dak Prescott's got to throw for like the first 14 plays of the game, and then oh yeah, by the way, we'll give it to Zeke. You're not gonna win that way, you know. So um, between Kelly Moore and Big Head Jason Garrett, they need to figure it out because I'll tell you straight up, Jason Garrett I think will dip extra quick, will get fired quickly, more quickly than um than uh, what's his name, um Kelly Moore. I can tell you that with a straight face. So you could tell Jerry Jones is getting frustrated with this team. But, you know, the only thing I can say about New England, dude, is their offense still looks old. And and Tom Brady looks like every bit of the 42-year-old quarterback that he is. But that defense is amazing, and you saw why on Sunday night. Well, if this is the, the last tidbit that I'm going to give about the game. It is the third time ever in Amari Cooper's career he did not have a catch. Yeah, he's third time. Yeah. 
So Stefan Gilmore did put the clamps on him big time. Yes, he did. Sunday night football, we had the Green Bay Packers, the Cheeseheads, everybody traveling to San Fran, and what I saw was like a pretty much a 50-50 crowd. 49ers smash the Pittsburgh, uh, the, the Green Bay Packers. Sorry, saw the yellow helmet. Uh, 37-8. to eight. Yeah. And there was a very, very interesting meme running around on Facebook right now. I think it's on Instagram as well. And it says that if Aaron Rodgers had all state instead of State Farm, he would have had better protection. From this, and it's him getting sacked by Bosa and Buckner and those guys. Yes, because yeah, the, I saw that. The Green Bay th- offensive line was horrible too. Yeah, they were bad. The defense, the the defensive side of the ball was bad. And like this is alarming because you know when we were talking about the game last week, I know I said that. The reason why I really liked Green Bay was because I thought that uh, in these kind of games, they're the ones that had the 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 uh, experience more than San Francisco. But it was San Francisco that showed that they had more than the uh, the drive to want to win. And then, why, how does Green Bay come off looking like that? And you were on the bye last week, you know. So this is one of those games where, like, we've seen Green Bay keep having these these games like this on the in the Bay Area. We saw them do it a couple weeks ago when they lost to the Chargers, and now you see it again while you're losing to San Francisco. So. I think that was a big win for San Fran for a couple of reasons. A, it keeps San Francisco in the uh, you know in the hunt two games over um, in the NFC West for Seattle. Then they remain the number one team in the entire NFC. And if you're going to get George Kittle back like they had on Sunday, hey, I'm tell you what, it's going to make for a long day if Garoppolo and Kittle are finding each other, especially if you run a bootleg and then you find George Kittle wide open and then he just stumbles on in into the end zone. So uh, a bad loss, I thought, for Green Bay because for Green Bay, they now could have gone nine and – what is it, nine and two? Maybe nine and two. Yeah, they could have been nine and two with Minnesota that's right behind you that's eight and three who, oh, by the way, you play again in Green, or in Minnesota – I thought that was a bad loss, and now Minnesota has a lot of they – they should have all the confidence in the world that they can go out and 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 uh, claim the NFC North. So finally, we had the uh, Monday Night Massacre. Yeah. Baltimore going to L.A. Baltimore wins 45-6. to six. Yeah, this game was bad. This – this raises a lot of eyebrows on what's going on with the Rams. I'm not putting it past that Baltimore didn't play a great game, but it's now showing the fact that the Rams are extremely vulnerable at this point. Defensively, they did not put up quite a fight, and offensively, they looked uh, even worse than pedestrian. They looked childish because they can't get the offensive going for shit. That's yeah, I had to look at the Rams. Yeah, and that has been the question all year. Like, what's going on with L.A.? You know, people want to say, oh, I think Jared Groff's overrated. I think it's a little bit more than that. Um, they're not really running and establishing the run with Todd Gurley. Brandon Cooks has been hurt. Cooper Cup has been hurt. Uh, 
what's his name has been missing uh missing games too uh robert woods missed the game of the other week against the chicago bears so they have some injuries uh sean mcveigh has, has not really been able to get this offense in check or in line and then let me say this too Dude, their defense has not been the same. I know they went out and they traded for uh, Jalen Ramsey, one of the best shutdown corners. But what they didn't make account for is how much they missed Indomitian Sue. Because I think Indomitian Sue was really giving Aaron Donald the, the, the acolytes that he deserves as him being one of the best, if not the best player, defensive player in the NFL, if not the best player in the NFL. But with no Indomitian Sue right there in the middle – Aaron Donald has kind of just been Aaron Donald. Like, he's just a man at this point. So um, the Rams have a lot of issues, and this is a bad loss for them just for the fact of – I mean, it's not like you were going to catch San Francisco or maybe even catch Seattle, but you could have made some positive ground in case one of those two teams happened to go on this slump. But now it means nothing because you lost and got embarrassed at home so bad on national TV, by on the way. national TV, by the way, yes, be, and because and now you're fighting because you just got your asses whooped. I mean, that's basically all that fighting was with Jalen Ramsey. He just mad because he's got his ass whooped. So, um, and then with Baltimore, you know, uh, what's his name threw five touchdown passes, Lamar threw five touchdown passes, but let me say this too. I'm thinking that as the year, as the weeks go on, all these questions we may have had about uh, Lamar Jackson, I start. I feel like starting to go out the window. Can he run? We know he can run. Can he pass? We know that he can pass. You know, people are like, oh, well, let's just on on the short routes and check. That's because you have a guy who is uh, working an offense that fits Lamar Jackson. So is Lamar Jackson going to take those, uh, those, those huge um, throws down the field? Probably not, but he is a guy that's good on the short routes. He's a guy that's good to know when he's going to run and when he's not going to. So I'm, I'm you know, I think Lamar Jackson's got an unfair shake because a lot of people thought that he should have came in as a wide receiver or a running back, but he's proven everybody wrong and like he knew that he was a quarterback. All right, so that kills off the Week 12 schedule. Week 13 starts with a triple header Thanksgiving Day, and we have those three picks for you. We have Chicago going to Detroit. Detroit minus one and a half. Game starting at eleven thirty central. Yeah, um, I'm going with the Bears again on this one. Um, I still think the the I mean the Lions obviously miss Matt Stafford. Um, Jeff Driscoll is uh you know filling in, and I think he's starting to get comfortable. But I still can't ignore the fact on how good the Bears defense is. Um, yes, Mitch looked good last week against the Giants, but we know that the Giants have struggled uh, defensively. Um, so the Bears took advantage of that. Now they're going to play a Lions team that's hurt defensively as well. So uh, I like the Bears. You said what's the spread on that? Minus one and a half. Yeah, I like, the Bear. I like the Bears plus the one and a half. All right. I think I'm going to go with the Bears as well. Now, mind you, I called the Bears last week because they played the Jets. The Giants, I mean. <laughs> that you did. 
I can't even argue with you on that. Because I do, I wasn't rooting for those blueberry bastards. Sorry. Okay, so three thirty Central Time. We have Buffalo at Dallas. Dallas minus seven. Ooh, man! You know I like both teams as well. Um. I'm going to go with Dallas, but I, I, I don't think that they'll be Buffalo by seven. Um, this is a scary game for Dallas because if the Buffalo Bills play any kind of defense, um, I'm sorry, if the Buffalo Bills play any kind of offense, it could make a long day for the Dallas Cowboys because the Bills defense is so damn good. The Bills defense is really good. I think the defense is the reason why they're eight and three. And, you know, Dallas has the big playability to put points up on the board if the calls are made correctly. Like, stop trying to make Zach Prescott, Roger Starback, and run the damn ball. That's all um, uh, oh, um, uh, Kellen Moore needs to do. But he's not doing it. And then you get Jason Garrett, who has to be the all-time leader NFL coach and claps. Just sitting on the sideline, just clapping his what, uh, you know, clap- smacking his players on the ass. By the way, yeah, that no too. For so, that, um, I, but I, it's so hard to choose Buffalo on the road against Dallas. So, I think Dallas wins, but I'll take Buffalo plus the uh, set six and a half. All right, so let's write this down. I, I kind of have the, I kind of have the same feeling as you do, though. But knowing the fact that Dallas has technically, statistically, the number one ranked offense in the NFL. Right. Dallas's defense the last three games has allowed a 100-yard rusher. Yep. I find that as a difficulty to know that unless there's actual containment and if they draw up some type of a spy defensive plan, that Allen's going to run all over them. True. Singletary is your uh yeah, is it seven Singletary? Yep, Devin Singletary. Seven Singletary can run, Gore can run. I think between the three of them, I, I'm not worried about the passing game. I think I'd be worried more worried about Dallas stopping the rush. And I think that they again, Dallas playing at home on Thanksgiving has been pretty much like a given. Unless they play the Patriots, because then they lose to them on uh Thanksgiving. Right. But I think this is going to be like a four-point Dallas win. And I was pretty much on the numbers on it on Sunday, too, with them. Yeah, I was only thinking three or four myself. I wasn't thinking – I didn't think that uh, Dallas would – or it it would be any kind of blowout on each side. So, yeah, I was thinking like Dallas win, but maybe by three or four points. All right. So I'm going to kind of agree on the the line there. Finally, Thursday night football – Regularly scheduled time. No pain train pipe bomb this week, so I could actually sit down and watch the game. New Orleans at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Saints 9-2. and two, Falcons 3-8. and eight. Falcons won earlier this year 26-9. And the spread is New Orleans minus 7. So, yeah. Yeah, dude, I'm going with New Orleans definitely on the win. I don't think that lightning is going to strike the same uh, – what is it? Lightning strikes uh, at, in the same place. 
Uh, we saw Atlanta dominate New Orleans a couple weeks ago, but I think New Orleans knows what's on the line, which is a, a playoff berth and a chance to win the NFC South yet again. And remember, a lot of people left this team for dead when Drew Brees had to miss all that time with the thumb injury, and all Teddy Bridgewater did was not lose a game and keep the seat warm for Drew Brees as he's coming back. Um, with Atlanta, uh, they definitely took a step backward last week against Tampa Bay. Um, you know, Julio Jones didn't have that good of a game. They, you know, the Bucks possessed the best run defense in all the NFL. Um, you know, Atlanta couldn't run in that game. Uh, Matt Ryan was all over the place. And if you think the Bucks, uh, front line is scary, the Saints front line is equally as scary with guys like, you know, Sheldon Rankins and, uh, and uh, um, uh, Cameron Jordan and Kiko Alonzo and Marshawn Lattimore is getting better. I think they get him back this week, but he's really played better since, you know, he was more or less called out on his crap play. Um, I like New Orleans, ah, but with the six, uh, I'll take I'll take New Orleans min- minus the points. I feel like this is going to be a trap. Uh, I just, I don't know. Like, oh. I understand your sentiments, especially after they just got smoked like two weeks ago. And, and that's the scary thing, though, is that, it, I mean, understandably enough, like Atlanta really didn't show up against Tampa. Right. But the, what happened the two weeks before that? That's the problem. You never know what you're going to get with the Atlanta Falcons at this point. True. They're, it's almost like they're the the upset special for the week. That's the way I'm kind of feeling on it. Right. And judging the history on it, like the head-to-head, it's, I mean, obviously Atlanta won earlier this year, but a 14-point win and a 6-point win the year before, and Atlanta was just as shitty last year as they are this year. Yeah. I, I don't know. Is 7 points enough? I'm actually thinking that maybe seven points may not it may be like too much. I'll tell you what, it won't be enough if uh, Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara go off. I can tell you that much. I don't know if they, I don't know if Atlanta has any type of, of combination because they've taken so many hits defensively this year. Uh, I don't know who would stop that duo, but if they figure it out, you know, if they figure it out, Atlanta win. But if they don't figure it out, and I feel like New Orleans is. Gonna be like, oh, hey, Latavius, uh, we're gonna bump you up to twenty-five carries, Alvin. We're just gonna bump you up to twenty-five touches, and it'll propel the Saints. I'm going into the the. I'm gonna take New Orleans, but I'm not iffy with the points, though. Fair enough. Like I, 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 I feel like, I feel like you you see a team like two weeks later. And you've already got enough tape on them that you could probably maybe play the same game plan and and just disrupt traffic. That's just, just kind of the way I look at it. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know, but that's uh, that's it for the uh, the triple play on Thursday. We got week uh, twelve. Triple play Thursday. Thursday. I can't wait. Thursday. I can't wait. Football again from from me like from twelve thirty to fucking. Almost midnight. Oh my yeah. god. Yep. <laughs> While everybody's upstairs cooking, you're downstairs watching. Exactly. Yep. I'm loving that. <laughs> What's up, Nate? How's everything going? 
Um, that's pretty much it for the show. I mean, you have any uh, parting words for our fans of the Arch Rivals Football Podcast? Um, I mean, outside of Happy Thanksgiving and uh, the insanity that's going to be Black Friday shopping, which I will not be participating in. Um, be safe out there. Have a happy holiday. And uh, we'll see you guys again some point this weekend. And, uh, um, yeah, I'm with you, dude. I'm looking forward to some food. I'm going to break the diet for, for a couple days so I can enjoy. And then I'll be right back on the grind here soon. So looking looking forward to just hanging out and just chilling relaxing. Well, I, I, I second that. Uh, I hope everybody does enjoy their Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much turkey because if you eat too much turkey – you can't watch football, and then you probably won't wake up Friday to watch the watch the show. Exactly. I mean, that's just the way that goes. Uh, a little bit of program no pipe bomb will be on Friday at seven, I believe, Eastern Standard. Uh, but on behalf of Todd and Alex and the rest of the family at Pain Train Pipe Bomb Productions, we do wish you guys all a great Thanksgiving. Do not drink and drive because we don't want to get any bad juju from that either. Uh, but we'll be back either Friday or Saturday. Time still to be determined. And uh, we'll catch you guys at the end of the week. Take care, man. Deuce. Pain Train Productions presents Arch Rivals Football Season 2. Your starting lineup. Ricky Litwinkowicz, Alex Aldape, Todd Rosenfeld, and Nicholas Russell. Enjoy the show.